Greetings, listeners. Jonathan Harding here with your popular culture segment. In the world of video games, remakes and graphical remasters are nothing new, and a few years ago this was even extended to video game consoles. Nintendo, PlayStation, and even Sega have all re-released some of their older consoles, but while they don't really upgrade the processing power, these re-releases come with a selection of classic games pre-installed, usually between 20 and 40 games. And unlike their older counterparts, these will interface with modern screens, as you'd be hard-pressed to get an original Nintendo Entertainment System working without a CRT monitor. More often than not, these re-released consoles are smaller versions of their original counterparts. Thickness aside, the Nintendo Famicom Mini is no larger than the average iPad. But Sega has just taken things to an extreme. In 1990, Sega was trying to corner the handheld gaming market, which was quite small at the time, but it had basically been monopolized by Nintendo with their release of the original Game Boy a year prior. The Sega Game Gear released in October of 1990 to relative commercial success. Sega didn't lose any money on it, but it didn't make them much either. In recent years, however, with the rise of retro gaming, Sega has taken the opportunity to re-release the handheld console. It's not out yet, and it'll release at the end of next month, but it's pretty easy to see how and why it will fail miserably. The Game Gear Mini will retail in the States for $45, that's 750 Rand. It comes with a whopping four pre-installed games, I'm not making this up, I promise, and will be sold in four color variants, each with different games on them. I swear, I'm not making this up, but it gets worse. The Game Gear Mini is 92% smaller than the original Game Gear making it 8 centimeters by 4 centimeters, featuring a screen 2 centimeters wide. Again, I repeat, I'm not making this up. I write stories for fun and I couldn't come up with this if I tried. Needless to say, I don't think anyone other than the most hardcore of collectors will be buying all of them, and with only 4 games and a hefty price tag for something lower tech than my first cell phone, I certainly wouldn't buy one either. While a visual masterpiece, the Lion King reboot falls flat in two areas, physical expression and individuality. The reboot is essentially a shot-for-shot, near-on-line-for-line copy of the original. I sat through the opening and thought, wow, they basically recreated the original opening sequence and it's amazing! But about 15 minutes in, I realized we were still copying shots and lines and I began to wonder if the entire film was like that. Spoilers, 90% of the film is like that. Yay. Of the two new scenes, one works as an amazing character moment for Scar and Sarabi, and the other seems to be more of a joke than anything. Apparently Simba just grew up to copy Timon and Pumbaa, and they'd like to have their originality back. On the matter of scenes taken out, though, half of the Be Prepared sequence is missing, and so is one of Simba's greatest character-building moments from the original, when Rafiki hits him on the head. Now, I know it sounds like I'm complaining about why the film wasn't closer to the original when I just complained that it was too close to the original, but that's just it. If you're going to recreate something shot for shot or line by line, then why take anything out in the first place? Why bother adding anything new? Questions I wish I could ask the director. Following that is the physical expression. The lions have none, or at least none that we humans understand. When the stampede starts, and when Mufasa dies, we see little more emotion on Simba's face than his mouth opening and sound coming out. And the lack of recognizable facial expression leaves the viewer with a shot of a lion cub and its mouth dangling open. 
While the voice cast did a good job, a film cannot rely on vocals alone to get by. The second half of audiovisual needs to be present, as a film is audiovisual, after all. Simply tilting Simba's ears back and pulling them downwards would have gone a long way towards making his fear more easily recognisable. There is, however, one scene in which Simba is given possibly a little too much physical characterization, making him look bouncy, which, yes, I understand he's supposed to be happy in the scene and potentially look like he's almost dancing, but then we end up with a shot of a lion that looks really realistic, but isn't moving like it. And it very nearly places him in the uncanny valley, even if only for that shot. Look, I would love to love this movie. I really would. But when all it is is a graphical update, I can't help but ask why it exists in the first place. In any case, I hope everyone's been keeping safe. This has been Jonathan Harding on Culture Club. Cheers.